Hello, and welcome to Next Reads, a podcast where we read the first chapter of a young adult or middle grade book to help you figure out what to read next. The North Liberty Library does not necessarily endorse any author's views, but it does support the freedom of speech and the freedom to read. This podcast might contain language or situations some listeners might find offensive or unsettling. I'm your host, Erin, Youth and Teen Services Librarian at the North Liberty Library. My pronouns are she and her. Welcome, listeners. So today I am going to be reading from a new book by David Levithon. It's called Answers in the Pages, and the cover is super cute. It's got these little turtles on it. Anyway, I'm going to read to you from the front cover, and again, this is a middle grade book. Starts off like this. Donovan is excited to read The Adventurers, the new book Mr. Howe has assigned his class. But before he can dig in, his mother gets her hands on it, and she's not excited by what she reads. Soon the whole town is freaking out about whether the book's two main characters are gay, and Donovan is caught in the middle. Rick and Oliver are the two main characters in The Adventurers. They're trying to stop an evil genius from acquiring the Doomsday Code and destroying life as we know it. Meanwhile, Gideon and Roberto have been paired up on their own book project, which draws them closer and closer together. With Answers in the Pages, best-selling author David Levithon delivers a bold, funny story about taking action, being brave, and standing up for what's right, no matter the circumstances. So, David Levithon has written so many books, so many of them, and he is actually a really nice person that I had the chance to meet once upon a time. Got my picture taken with him in Rainbow Rowell, which has nothing to do with this book. I'm just saying that he has written a lot and nice guy. Okay, chapter one. In the end, after everything they'd been through, there was only one thing the residents of Sandpiper Township could agree upon that all the fighting, all the commotion, all the rallying came down to how a person chose to read a single sentence. The sentence in question was, at that moment, Rick knew just how deeply he loved Oliver, and Oliver knew just how deeply he loved Rick, and the understanding of this moment would lead them to much of the happiness and adventure that came next. As sentences go, it was a bit long, and you had to read an entire book in order to get to it. Many of the residents of Sandpiper Township wouldn't have noticed it, if it had been said during a TV show or appeared as a quote in the middle of a newspaper article. But because it was the last line of the adventurers and because the adventurers had been assigned in Mr. Howe's fifth grade class, people did take notice. Only one person at first, then considerably more. It's worth reading that sentence again before I begin to tell you what happened. At that moment, Rick knew just how deeply he loved Oliver and Oliver knew just how deeply he loved Rick and the understanding of this moment would lead them to much of the happiness and adventure that came next. It would be a good idea for you to stop and consider what you think about this sentence. This will be the last time you get to read it without other people telling you what they think about it. That's how it was in Sandpiper Township that November. I know this because I was one of the first people in Sandpiper Township besides Mr. Howe to read that sentence. Unfortunately, I didn't read it as soon as I could have. I brought the book home with me and only read the first few pages. Then I left it on the kitchen counter and went to eat a snack in front of the TV. From there, it took an hour for my life to spiral out of control. Okay, so then the next chapter one starts with Gideon 
And then there's another chapter one that is the actual book, The Adventurers. So I'm going to read all of these chapter ones. Gideon White was only really, really good at two things, playing with words and collecting turtles. Of the turtles, only one of them, Samson, was an actual living, breathing, as much as turtles could be seen breathing, turtle. All the others were glass turtles, or stone turtles, or plastic turtles he'd gathered from gift shops, toy stores, and craft fairs. As for the words Gideon played with, most of them were living and breathing too, but Gideon often felt he was the only person who noticed this. Right now, it was Gideon's job to feed the only living, breathing turtle in his room and to dust all the others. Gideon's mother claimed to be allergic to dust, which Gideon thought was an exaggeration since dust was everywhere, and if she were truly allergic to dust, she'd be coughing or sneezing or wheezing every second of the day. Instead, all she really did was complain about the dust, even when it wasn't there. Samson was not Gideon's best friend, but he was definitely the friend Gideon trusted most. A lot of this had to do with the fact that Samson was a turtle and couldn't talk. Gideon's other two best friends, Joel and Tucker, talked all the time. He couldn't tell Joel anything without Tucker finding out about it and vice versa, which saved Gideon some time, not having to explain things twice. But it was still annoying that he had to assume anything he said would echo beyond where it was meant to go. Joel and Tucker were both in Miss June's fifth grade class. The alphabet had allowed them to sit next to each other while Gideon was banished to the back row. When Debbie Weiss had left class because her father got a job in Arizona, Gideon thought he'd at least be able to move up a row, which would have gotten him one desk closer to Tucker. But instead, Miss June kept the space empty. Gideon didn't ask her why. He didn't ask Miss June anything if he could avoid it. Gideon spent most of his time in class finding new words within the ones Miss June wrote on the board. So if she wrote history homework, he would scramble up its letters to find phrases like my stork or who is more Thor or he took my sow. He might even try to turn multiple words into one simpler word like his stonework. He'd do all of this in his head because early in the year he'd tried writing it all down and Ms. June had caught him doing it and instead of thinking he was doing something smart, she treated him like he was doing something wrong. That had put an end to writing it down. Gideon was lost finding words in Benedict Arnold's name, red coat, need cab, tide bore, when he felt the room around him pause, which meant he needed to pay attention. He raised his head and saw a boy standing next to Debbie Weiss's old desk. The boy had shaggy hair and a bright green shirt and looked at Gideon for a second before sitting down. Gideon had no idea who this boy was, and from looking around he realized that Ms. June had just introduced him to the class, and Gideon had missed it entirely. For the next half hour, Gideon stared at the back of the boy's head and tried to figure out his last name. Since Dana Watchell was sitting in front of the boy, Gideon assumed the last name had to be alphabetically located somewhere between Watchell and White. Warner, Watson, Webster, Weeble, Westing, Wheelmaker, Whippoorwill. Gideon tried to sneak a look inside the boy's book bag to see if there was a name on anything in there, but it was zipped close. The boy was sitting up straight, paying attention to Miss June, or maybe just appearing to pay attention, because Gideon could see the top right corner of the boy's notebook. He watched as the boy drew a cat, then a bull, then a rabbit, then a turtle. Gideon wanted to warn the boy to hide the notebook from Miss June if he didn't want to get in trouble, but he also really liked the turtle and didn't want the boy to turn the page. 
When it was time for lunch, the boy shuffled his notebook into his bag and jumped out of the room as soon as he could. Gideon started packing up his own books and saw something on the board he had noticed before. A new name. Not someone from the Revolutionary War like Benedict Arnold. No, it had to be the boy's name. Roberto Garcia. Okay, and then the last chapter one, Up in Smoke. So remember, this is the characters in the book, The Adventurers, that is causing all the problems in this town. Rick Mason knew he had about five minutes left to live, if he was lucky. There was something about being handcuffed to a chair in the heart of an abandoned building about to set on fire that forced him to focus. It didn't matter that Rick was only 12 years old. His mind often felt much older than that, and at this moment, it only had one purpose, to get him out of that house. It had been a mistake to come to the mansion alone, and an even greater mistake to let his guard down for even a second. Of course McAllister had sent his bodyguards to do the dirty work. By the time Rick had heard the telltale lunge of boots, the crowbar was already swinging toward his head. They could have done away with him then, but clearly McAllister wanted Rick to experience a more elaborate death than a simple pummeling. Rick was starting to smell the smoke now. This wasn't the time to dwell on mistakes. First step, break the chair. Rick tipped forward on his feet and flipped himself into the air. When he landed, he made sure to lean all his weight onto the chair's wooden frame. The first fall weakened it. The second fall cracked it. The third fall broke it. Rick's spine also felt like it might scatter onto the floor, but Rick clenched his teeth and kept going. The sound of fire from the ground floor was beginning to roar now, and the smoke was getting heavy. Rick swiped his cuffed hands on the floor and was relieved when they came up without any gasoline on them. McAllister wanted this to look like a natural death. It bought Rick a little time. The cuffs would have to stay on for now. He pulled his shirt over his nose and mouth and dropped low, pushing forward to the staircase. Unfortunately, the fire had gotten there first and was now climbing its way to him. This left the windows. At the top of the stairway was a stained glass casement with a saint in the middle. St. Christopher, Rick thought, even though St. Christopher really wasn't McAllister's type. Like many adventurers, Rick had a great respect for art. In this case, it meant he whispered a quick apology to the glassmakers before crashing through their creation. Rick was relieved to find the mansion's front overhang waiting underneath the shattered window. He was not relieved when he noticed that people were shooting at him. And the porch was on fire. The smoke gave him some cover, but it also meant that the place where he was standing was likely to cave in in about five, four, three, two, Rick ran around a corner and leapt in the direction of the tree line. Had it been winter, he wouldn't have landed on ice-hard ground, but it was still enough of autumn for there to be leaves to soften his plunge. With shots inconsiderately pinging off the tree trunks to his left and his right, he zipped deep into the forest, only catching his breath when he heard the sound of a fire brigade making its way onto the property. Awkwardly, because of the handcuffs, he checked his pocket watch. It was 20 strokes short of six. He had to keep moving, not just because McAllister's goons would be on his tail in the time it took to lick Lollipop, but because he prided himself on never missing a rendezvous. McAllister might manage to kill Rick Mason, but he would not make him late. 19 minutes later, Rick approached the back of a Texaco station, relieved that none of the attendants had chosen this moment for a coffee break. Two minutes later, a motorcycle swerved to his side. Rick knew better than to say a word until Oliver removed his helmet. Once it was off and Rick could see Oliver's smile as well as his smiling eyes, he chided, you're late. Oliver took it in stride. 
You didn't tell me you were leaving. Didn't even leave a note on your bed. He registered Rick's situation. And you definitely didn't tell me to fetch the bolt cutter. Mistakes were made, Rick mumbled as Oliver handed him a helmet. But I knew to come here anyway, Oliver said, neither annoyed nor surprised. They both put on their helmets. Rick hopped onto the seat behind Oliver. Then, because there was no other way to do it, he brought his cuffed arms around Oliver's head and got them around his waist. Hold on, Oliver said, gunning the motor. Rick knew there'd be enough time to figure out what had gone wrong. Right now, he was grateful that this one thing had gone right. Rick Mason was an orphan, but that didn't mean he lived a life bereft of family. Part of being an adventurer was knowing the other adventurers had your back, or in this case, would give you his own back to hang on as you zoomed your way to safety. Okay, so that is the end of all of the chapter ones. So I wanna keep reading this book, although I will have to say, if you are not 16 and don't have your proper license for driving a motorcycle like these 12 year olds are doing, don't do that. That's very dumb and dangerous and reckless. So that's my PSA for the day. Anyway, I hope that you like this book. I love that it's written in like different voices. So there's like first person and then third person and then you've got this whole other story happening with the adventurers. I don't know. I have not read a book that is like this in quite a while. So again, that was Answers in the Pages by David Levithan. And if you didn't like this book, no worries. Lots of other books to pick from. I'll try to find some similar books to put in the show notes. And hope you join me next time for another Next Reads. Thanks. <laughs>